Once again, please remain calm. Right now, our greatest enemy is fear. They need to believe, not in me. You can't save them all. Try. You'll fail. Everybody See. And then what? And then what what? Well, if we lose, there is no then what. And if we win, what next? We're still renegades. I don't think there's anybody left on this side of the galactic core we haven't already honked off. Can't go home. Sometimes I don't know which scares me more, winning or losing. God, I thought I was depressing. Let it burn, Malachi. Let it all end in fire. Sheridan goes on the offensive. The ambassador stays. Billions more will die. But will he survive his own trap? On it all, me. I did the best I could. Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. podcast land welcome to gray 17 of babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices we're a group of newbies and first ones either watching the show for the first time or watching the show for the upteenth time and we have found our way into season four's episode falling toward apotheosis i'm scott and with me is emily justin kevin Luke, mike and nicole before we get started talking about the episode, we've got a couple things for housekeeping. First and foremost, we have all of our social media links listed down below. So you can join us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Our newbies are mostly on Facebook. We've also got good conversations going on Twitter. And then if you want to talk with the cast in the spoiler section or in the general section, we have our Discord server, which is available to all of our Patreon members. The Patreon's listed in the link down below. And a big thank you to our great council members. Those are the producers listed who give the largest amount to the patreon every single month we really do appreciate it and it really does help us grow to that point uh we also had a really good experience last week with actually getting a hold of mr bruce boxleitner captain sheridan himself and if you had not checked out either the audio or video of that message i really recommend you do it was really heartfelt and it's a quick one and i we've gotten a lot of good reviews from that and as bruce says in the message he really wanted us to share that with b5 fans so if you haven't checked it out do so but i wanted to open up to the crowd here if you all wanted to talk about bruce and what he said nicole by the time i was done watching that for the first time i was crying like what a wonderful human being the message that he gave us was so special and it was so heartfelt and sweet and i feel like he really kind of was speaking to the newbies a little bit more so like wanting us to really pay attention to certain things and i just i think it really touched him that like you were bringing new fans into this world and i thought I just think he I could see he was excited about what we're doing on the podcast, you know, and 
it was such a just wonderful message that I watched it like five times in a row and I just sat there crying. I was like, oh my gosh. Like I wanted to hug him through the screen. I was like, what a nice dude. And I just think that if you haven't watched it, you should because it'll really get you in the feels. And and what he said was really important because this cast has lost a lot of people. And I feel like this work and this show and keeping the fandom alive really keeps them alive too. And I just think that's really special. So I'm so grateful that we were able to get that because it really, it really made an impact on me specifically. Justin. Yeah. I mean, how to follow up with Nicole said, man, that was awesome. But hearing from Bruce was definitely a bucket list thing for me because Growing up being a huge fan of Tron and then moving forward and seeing him here in Babylon 5 is and then now like hearing what he had to say about about Jerry and Andreas and all the people that have been lost along the way that he is he has to be one of my new favorite people of all time. And I cannot wait to someday meet him in person because yeah, that was really heartfelt. It was really emotional. You can tell that he still has a lot of love for the entire experience he had on Babylon 5 and the people involved. And he sincerely loves and misses everyone from that show. And it's it was absolutely wonderful and brilliant. And honestly, it's even if I wasn't crying out loud like Nicole was, it's still so emotional and wonderful to see so i absolutely loved it kevin i also grew up a big tron fan and my parents really liked the scarecrow show so i was pretty familiar with his work and i've you know you 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 hear a lot of stories about people you know in hollywood and um read stuff online but uh man i haven't heard anything bad about him and his his goodness just completely shines through he seems like uh you know such a such a wonderful guy and i uh, i'm i'm really looking forward to uh the possibility of talking to him at some point in the near future because uh i i can't wait to ask him a couple of things about you know his projects over the years he just uh he he's a class act and if you're listening bruce call me We'd still love to get you on the show as well, too. Along with that, we've also been pushing another thing here the past few weeks, and that is our Extra Life donation drive for Children's Miracle Network. Mike, you want to give us an update on that? Uh, yeah. Um, so I don't want to I don't want to beat a dead horse here because uh, one thing I don't care for is begging for money. But if you're going to beg for money, at least do it for a good cause. And I feel like that's what we've been doing. Um we uh, participated a couple weeks ago in the the yearly Extra Life charity event where we uh, got a few of the crew together and we played some vids and had some fun and streamed it all uh, and encouraged everybody to donate to the Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals. And it was a big success. I was really, really happy with the outcome. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I should have been prepared. We're, we made it into the $700 range. Uh, and the reason we're bringing this up yet again today is, is I want to shout out just one more time a thank you to our amazing a community of listeners out there and amazing b5 fans um you can still donate to the charity through the end of the year and and some of you have we we actually collected uh kind of out of nowhere very pleasantly surprised some additional uh, donations last week that pushed us over the 700 mark so um you know by all means if you're able to do it keep them coming uh if not spread the word that's all we ask uh so thank you all thank you again yeah and the links down below for that and you know what's really cool about it too is 
we actually got to pick locally where we wanted to send the donations that come into individual members of the team. And I got a message from my local hospital that's in Iowa saying that they raised, along with what we raised and then with other groups, that one hospital raised about $40,000 through this. So it really does stay local and it really does help out. So link is down below. Please check it out if you can, or as Mike said, if you can't donate, spread the word, help us out. We'd love to hit our goal of a thousand bucks before the end of the year. The other thing too, the last thing I'm gonna ask you to do is please, 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 Leave us a like, a subscribe, a follow, and a review. And it really does help if you can go over to iTunes and Apple, plug your nose, and uh, leave a review over there. We got a new one in this week, guys. And that one comes from Far uh, Farside Jake. And it's aptly named is the title of the review. Whether you are new to B5 or have seen it many times, it is always better to discuss it with others. This is a good companion series because of the mix of fans and new to both Babylon 5 and sci-fi and general cast members. Even if some people seem to not watch the episode. We'll leave that one alone. Farside, you were doing good. Uh, they also named their series well because it seems that there is almost always someone missing from the Grey 17 podcast. Well, this week's going to be the same. Uh, we're working on it. So thanks, Farside, and also thanks for the five star. So we really do appreciate that, too. So if you can, go over to Apple and leave a review. Also, if you're listening on Spotify, we just hit a massive threshold for us on that. We have a 500 followers just on Spotify. So thank you all for that. And you can click the little note review button on every single episode and leave us a note on how you feel about the episode or about the show itself. And I do read those as well, too. Let's go ahead and dive in. And I, I believe Nicole has a synopsis for us. The Borlons step up their battle against the shadows. Lando uncovers a new wrinkle in his plan to unseat Emperor Cartagia. Sheridan asks Garibaldi to remove Kosh from the station. And Delenn gets a surprise from Sheridan. So for those of you who are just joining us, we're going to go to our newbies first and get their first impressions on the episode. And then we'll talk to our old beasts about uh, that as well. So, Justin, first impressions. Yeah, I've I've decided that um, new Kosh, I'm going to name Koshbag, but I was glad to see Koshbag finally get what was coming to him uh, in this episode. I'm not sure if it's for good or for uh, bad, but we'll see along the road. This was another brilliant Londo episode, the way he kind of plays Kartaj's delusions against himself to get what he wants out of him. I like how Ivanova's main involvement in the episode is through those war bulletins that pop up throughout there. And the Christ-like status of Sheridan that was kind of alluded to a couple times throughout here might get annoying, but I guess in the sense of the current like context of the episode, I guess it kind of makes sense to me. But overall, it was... It was really a heavy episode, a lot of shit going on, and I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. Emily. I really enjoyed this episode. So far, season four has been going well, which makes me nervous that the bottom's going to fall out and we're going to hit a really shit episode soon. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, no need to burst that bubble, if because I know some of you know how soon a bad episode will be. I've said season four is my favorite season. I'll leave it at that. Just because it's your favorite doesn't mean there isn't a bad one in there somewhere. Yeah, I did like this episode and I was frustrated with the ending, but what a way to end the episode. It's kind of what I expected in a way that this was how Jakar lost his eye it was Cartagia being douchey somehow. So it was good. 
<laughs> Thanks for reminding me about that, by the way. When uh, we started this show, I was uh, started collecting the action figures. I know some of us other folks have collected them too. And I joked that my Jakar, I couldn't show the newbies because he had a spoiler. And the spoiler is that my action figure is missing an eye. <laughs> so I was like, I can't show you the Jakar one. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't on I wasn't on that show, but I remember listening to that in my car and going, Oh my god, she called another one. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, what do you got for first impressions? Well, Justin and Emily kind of hit on some of the things that I kind of wrote down and noticed. Um, first off, yeah, I I thought it was very like when Sheridan was walking through the crowd and they all kind of parted like the Red Sea, I was like, man, that's like very Moses stuff right there. Like, you know, growing up Catholic, I was like, ooh, the parallels there of the Jesus-y type stuff was kind of intense. And then I thought Zach had some good ones in this one. Like when he told Garibaldi, are you finished yet? Like he would just like let him have his tantrum and kind of had his little sarcastic, like, are you finished? Like I just, I thought Zach had some good, good ones in this episode. I also really liked how Londo basically played off of Cartagia's narcissism and like his delusions and and basically like used it to his advantage to convince him to do what he wanted him to do, which was pretty cool. I feel like Londo's coming back around in a way, or at least I'm starting to not hate him as much. Um, I also thought it was interesting that he called Sheridan to find out what the deal was with the Vorlons. That was kind of cool. And then, yeah, other than that, I feel like we found out whose side Lita was on in this episode. Because, you know, with the whole Vorlons kind of going into her and altering her and stuff like that, I wasn't really sure kind of where she lied. I felt like she was still kind of on their side, but still had to like, maybe they had some control over her. But clearly she can make her own decisions and decided to go against new dickhead Kosh. And then, yeah, the ending with dickhead kosh and all that that was wild um i have some questions about it because i feel like i don't understand one thing but we'll go into that later and you know when sheridan proposed to delenn i was very excited i screeched when he gave her the engagement ring because i'm a shipper and i've been shipping that so i was a little heartbroken about the news they broke to her but also when he gave her the ring i was like oh my god it doesn't matter they're gonna be happy so yeah the, the romantic love side came out of me there. So it was a it was a roller coaster episode, I feel like. It was a lot of, you know, ups and downs, heavy, but then there was light moments and there was funny moments. And obviously now we know what happens to Jakar's eye and it just made me hate Cartagia even more. Nicole, I love how you have the blinders up in that scene because immediately after that, you're like, they're going to be happy. And then Sharon's like, well, we could be dead in two weeks. So, well, you know, it doesn't matter. But still, in the moments <laughs> they have together, they're going to be happy and they know their their love is is set out loud and intent and whatever happens, they know that they're a unit. So mm -hmm. that's what I mean by that. No, nope, I hear you here. This is the second time we've watched Dylan get engaged, right, Emily? Yeah. <laughs> She's not going to say a word. She's just going to give me a dirty no, look. I like even though i know what happened since then that was still implied and it's even creepier now i'm actually more disturbed by it now than i was when i first saw it the look at me is alive and well in the babylon 5 universe <laughs> Dylan never actually said yes just throwing it out there i mean a ring is better than a tomato so i'll take the ring i mean who knows what the minbari version of marriage looks like could be a praying mantis, right? <laughs> okay, let's go to our people who have watched the show all the way through before. Mike, first impressions. I actually think this might be one of my more favorite episodes. Um, I really like 
the overall heaviness of this episode the the constant war broadcasts the the impending sense of doom coming from all sorts of directions um the everything with Cartagia. yeah uh, it's it's a really it's a really solid episode in my mind and like i said the atmosphere of it is 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 really good and it and there's that little bright spot at the end with uh delan and sheridan to kind of counterbalance everything else that is that has come in um yeah really like it i do think they should just call this episode the gang kills vorlon you're uh, an always sunny fan but uh yeah so there you go it's it's one of it's it's a good one i was thinking more doctor who with let's kill hitler let's kill kosh <laughs> kevin first impressions i like this one um there's there's a couple of funny moments in this one that you know tries to counterbalance some of the heaviness that has been already talked about by the crew but um one of the things that i i found hilarious was the uh oh londo's calling probably collect <laughs> um but you know this one it has it has a lot in it you know it's very it's very heavy there's some ethical concerns in this one um i everyone seems to be uh flying around with uh, different ways of referring to Kosh 2.0, but they called him on the set Kosh Vader. So I thought everyone would get a kick out of that one. Blake. So I'm kind of like you, Scott, this is probably my favorite overall season and it's because of how much it runs together. And so I really like this episode and this is the part for me where it's getting hard to stay week to week and not, you know, run a few episodes ahead because I just want to keep letting it skip and go forward. But this one, you finally have that showdown with uh, Asshole Kosh and Kosh 1.0, uh, where you find out that whole thing about Sheridan carrying part of Kosh and that kind of taking out new Kosh. And then you see the fleet amassed at the end. So you know something's coming. So I really do like this episode and, and finding it hard not to want to start skipping ahead again. No, I completely agree. And this is what Babylon 5 truly should be known for more than what it is. And that is this didn't happen in the 90s primetime drama television was not serialized. I mean, we talk about Star Trek a lot, but TNG and right now DS9's in season three at this point, or season four, mostly aren't serialized either because it's just not what you did. People were concerned that if somebody missed a week, then they would be lost to the show. But this is, we're doing this now. We are literally moving week to week. The story just continues. And it's fun as hell to see that happen. And I, we've talked about this a little bit already too with every episode so far this season and has had an intro and we've done like the captain's log and the medical doctor's log and now we've got ivanova on tv giving us a little bit of update of what's going on so i like how jms is doing like the whole previously on without really doing it and so that's helpful as well too but yeah no I'm, i like this episode a lot as well it's a it's a culmination of a lot of things and you know the title is falling towards apotheosis and that's the idea is we're coming to a climax we are moving to something bigger so um it, uh, you can feel that you can feel the tension rising throughout this episode and to emily and to blake's point you don't get a climax in this episode but it's coming it's coming soon let's go ahead and dive into the episode proper and emily's hand immediately shot up so emily go for it well at the risk of pissing off a lot of people you never do that ever i which i happen so rarely for me but i'm gonna take a big risk with this one when we actually see the giant vorlon ship kind of more up close all i could think of is it looks like the enterprise being attacked by a kraken 
Okay. <laughs> it looked like there were tentacles coming out and it had like the saucer shape to it. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, that, yeah, that's an interesting ship. <laughs> Emily, what you think is going to piss off fans and what actually pisses off fans are two different things, but I'm sure you'll find a way to piss them off again soon. You know, because I'm bringing it up Star Trek again, and we know that doesn't work. Well, the one guy still thinks you should just stay in the kitchen, so we're fine. I mean, the kitchen does have snacks. <laughs> Nicole, what do you got? I just kind of wanted to start off by bringing up something that was a, a point throughout the whole episode, but not one of the like major points, I don't think, was the whole Garibaldi situation. Mm-hmm. Now, you know I love Garibaldi. He's one of my favorite characters, but he's kind of being a dick like he's there's something going on with him i don't know if he was altered and he doesn't know but he's so angry like when ivanova said is he more cranky than usual and zach's like oh give him a break he's been through it i feel like zach is kind of trying to be the buffer and like you know like be understanding but like also he went off on zach too like you know and zach was just there to like give him a message that he wanted, you know, like to go back to work, you know, and before Zach could even get it out, he went off on him, you know. So I think that there is something boiling in him and there is going to be a conflict with Garibaldi. And I don't know if it's going to be with Sheridan or Lorianne, but something is coming and I don't think it's going to be good. And it really makes me sad and upset because I love Garibaldi and I don't want him to be a dick weasel, but he's acting like one. And I feel like it's going to be bad. So I've been dragging this out for several weeks, trying to get like the, the infighting to continue. But we actually did get an answer, by the way, to the, the question, did Garibaldi get captured or did he go off on his own? Yep. And Nicole? I was wrong. I'm sorry to tell you. I know. That's, a, that's I know. a strike. Justin's over here doing the happy dance. I know. I even said to Justin, you were right. I was wrong <laughs> when I saw it. I was like, God damn it. I was wrong. Uh, it was wonderful to be right. Justin, what do you got? Yeah, I mean, just kind of piggybacking off of what Nicole said, like it's, you know, even even Sheridan made the point and he doesn't have a bad point in this. It's Sheridan comes back from the dead and everybody rejoices. He comes back and he's like pilfered with questions and everybody's questioning him and he's not ready to come back to work and he's being isolated. And I, I, I get his frustration in that, like, you know, why does why does Sheridan get to come back to thunderous applause, but then I come back and people treat me as if they don't trust me anymore and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's a shitty situation for Gary Baldy to be in to be in, but I can't necessarily blame him. And you know, Garibaldi's not always necessarily a trusting individual. So the fact that somebody new just shows up in the war council and nobody will tell him who this person is or what he's about and just expect him to, to like trust him. I don't I don't blame Garibaldi at all for being suspicious for what Lorien is or what he's about or who he, you know, what his ultimate objectives are, because Garibaldi is the kind of person where he has A, B, C, D down to the truth, and he can't get this with this person. So he's naturally not going to trust him. Sheridan comes back and everyone cheers and Garibaldi comes back and he gets a proctal exam, or at least almost yeah. got a proctal exam. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I understand his frustrations. It's real. Although we did hear that Sheridan ordered himself a proctal exam. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. He got a full workout. Yeah. yeah. We didn't see him get his head examined, but yeah. Yeah. Mike, what do you got? Uh, well, Justin stole most of my point here, but uh, I was going to say, I, I was going to jump in and defend Garibaldi here because while he is being a little bit uh, more abrasive than usual, uh, 
I actually think he 100% has a point that no one seems to be suspicious of, of Lorien <laughs> walking around. Like, Sheridan comes back from the Doom planet, populated by shadows that nobody knows what the hell they even look like. And then all of a sudden, Sheridan shows up with a new best friend that looks like Steven Merchant fuck the shoehorn crab. <laughs> and... <laughs> Like, not one person raises a suspicion about the fact that he's, like, calling the shots in Sheridan's ear now. And, you know, well, I'll I mean, go one step further than that. Then as soon as he does get let in, he's like, hey, Sheridan's like, hey, Garibaldi, I want you to go get your ass kicked by a Vorlon. And I want you to get your ass kicked. Yeah, but I'll, I mean, at least at least for the, at the point when they reached that discussion, Garibaldi was like, all right, I get it. <laughs> like... Like, I don't know. All, all in all, I mean, I feel like in this episode, at least, Garibaldi was completely rational in just about everything that he said and did. And, uh, you know, and then in the end, he went along with it like a team player. So Emily. Yeah, I have to agree with them. And I was also frustrated by that for Garibaldi because Sheridan does come back. And I understand their hierarchy with like on B5 is very different. But everyone's been so worried about the shadows and no one comes back alive and they know they can like alter them somehow and mess with their mind. And he comes back with a little tag along and people are just like, yeah, he's back. And it seems like no one had a critical thinking skill about should we be trusting him right now? Like their default is just to trust. And yeah, it seems like they're really running Garibaldi through the ringer trying to figure out if he's still trustworthy. Whereas Sheridan, it was just like, oh, yeah, it's fine. We don't know who this guy is. We don't know anything about him. But he came back from Zaha Doom with Sheridan. Like, that is totally suspicious. <laughs> Why is no one else feeling the same about that? They're all just like, yeah, it's cool. It's fine. He's going to do whatever he's going to do and keep his little secrets. And we don't need to know anything, but we'll follow along. Nicole. I just two things that I wanted to kind of add and say on the record. I, I didn't say that I think his activities and behaviors are unjustified. I just noticed he was being more aggressive. Mm -hmm. Like I, I get why he is, but I just, I hate that he's in that position and he is being that way. Cause I just love him so much. And I'll go on record and say, I still don't know if I trust Lorian. Like I don't, I don't, there is something about him that I do not like. Yeah. He might be a first one. And yeah, he might've given his energy to Sheridan to live. But that motherfucker's shady. I'm sorry. I, there is something about him that pisses me off, and I don't know what it is. So I, I'll i just put it out there. I could be wrong and eat my words and have Justin do a happy dance again, but that's just how I feel. Baby cow going up. <laughs> Emily. I was also wondering about that energy transfer thing. Is it just energy or is it energy and a little something else so he can manipulate him? He gives her a little something-something. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, is there, is it just a little bit more than energy so they can manipulate the situation? Because I don't trust any of them at this point. I don't well, trust yeah. Shadows. I don't trust Vorlon. I don't trust Lorian. None of them. You trust Ivanova, though, right? Yeah. You have to trust Ivanova. Mm -hmm. I do like, though, I mean, we, we came into this episode from last episode thinking, okay, Garibaldi obviously is, has been tampered with. He's now a bad guy. But this episode is doing a lot to what you guys have said to show he's making sense. He's not tracking Sheridan. He's tracking Lorien, and he's pointing out everything you've all pointed out. And yes, we do have a flashback to, you know, him being wrapped in cellophane, but it could very well be PTSD. We don't know. But at the same time, to Garibaldi's point, none of us were thinking that Sheridan 
is a sleeper agent at all. Okay, but I, he's he okay. Well, you did, Emily, but you <laughs> you're a you're a special case, my friend. <laughs> None of the normies thought Sheridan had anything to worry about, but again, he's going about being kind of weird too. So Garibaldi has a point in my book. And I'm but Emily has never trusted anybody. In this that, she's a show. special case. She's a special yeah. case in many ways. She hates everyone equally, it, more or less. Yeah, <laughs> she hates other people more equally than others. <laughs> Nicole. So since we were talking about like that energy transfer thing, I kind of wanted to bring up the whole um Lorianne made a point to say that Kosh was in Sheridan as well as a little bit of him. So how many fucking people are in Sheridan? Like what is happening there? Like, you know, <laughs> is it the train over? No, are no, we, we are not. No, no trains. <laughs> no, no uh, trains. But, I wasn't but, here last week. I wasn't either. <laughs> so how, how many people are in him and how many of them will pull out too fast? Yes. Well, <laughs> it was too hard, not too fast. But here's before you leave us and never come back, <laughs> leave a review five star and then you can leave. Go ahead. Five but, stars for the filth. Right. Well, and the thing that I thought was kind of interesting about the whole thing. So and and maybe I'm just a dumbass, but like at the very end when well, first of all, Dickhead Kosh was pissed that Kosh was in a human. Like he was mad. So I'm wondering if that's like, oh, that's a no-no for the Vorlons to like infiltrate a human or whatever, or trust a human. But Kosh and Sheridan, I feel like had a really good relationship and like a trusting one, you know? Um, but when I was at the very end when they were like trying to kill new Kosh and he came out of the encounter suit. And then when he pulled Kosh out of Sheridan and they were kind of like twisting up in the rafters and like went to the ship or whatever. Was he dead or was that like his spirit being taken? Like, I was so confused. I didn't know if they actually succeeded in killing him or they just got him off B5, you know? JMS was, JMS, JMS was asked. That's going to get a comment. (laughs) Oh no, no, no. I bet it'll get a response from him. (laughs) According to him, he does still listen to us because he sent ninjas after us during the train comments. So... (laughs) Uh, hi, JMS. How are you? Now, JMS was asked this question on the Usenets back in the day, so I feel like I can say this without much worry. Uh, we saw the death of both Kashas. Okay. Because I, I, I just was like, I watched it like three times in a row, and I was like, am I just dumb or am I just not understanding what's happening here? Yeah. You know? Um, but from what I, I interpreted was that was their spirits. And he, he, before he's like, nah, man, before I go, I'm taking old Kosh with me and then took him and went off to wherever, you know? So that's kind of what I interpreted, but I don't know if I was right or not. Flip side of that. That was Kosh, our Kosh, sacrificing himself oh, to save sure Babylon 5. Oh, I see. Okay. He, he gave the last, remember? Remember, Kosh told us right before he died, he's scared of death. Oh. He's scared because he's lived so long, he doesn't want to die. So he he grabbed onto Sheridan for dear life and held on. Got it. But at this last moment, Kosh decided to sacrifice himself because no one else could kill old Kosh uh, except for him. So, so he didn't pull old Kosh out of him. Old Kosh went after him, essentially. No, because that was the plan. That was the okay. plan the entire time. That's what I thought. Lorian okay. says, now. Okay, and that's when that's, Kosh and leaves. that's when yeah, okay, that's what I figured. Okay, cool. 
So I did yes. understand it. Yeah, I'm not stupid. Yeah, that was that was Arkosh dying for our sins. Okay, perfect. He was our Jesus. He was our yes. space Jesus today. We have two Jesuses in this episode. Yeah, a Jesus. <laughs> Justin. Well, and the way I kind of always interpret it, like watching that scene, is you see the two different dichotomies between like what Kosh and Koshbag were, you know, because Koshbag wanted was in the camp of let's just wipe out and destroy anything that has been touched by the shadows. But then Kosh was on the side of like, not humanity per se, but like on the side of let's try and make everybody kind of work together. Like the original, I guess, vision of the Vorlons of trying to promote, you know, growth and stuff like that from the, from the younger races. But then, so finally you have, you know, Kosh bag and OG Kosh kind of fight it out. And it was, it was actually a wonderful scene, like not wonderful scene, but it was actually a very interesting scene to watch. Kevin. It, what I find interesting about this whole thing, I was already kind of talking about, I'm like, what are, you know, what are the ethical considerations with them, you know, having Lita lead, you know, him into the slaughter or what they were hoping was going to be the slaughter and then trapping him and hoping to lead to his death. It's interesting to me because especially having read that uh, Patricia Tallman was talking to JMS for a couple weeks, I guess, after she read the script that she didn't like the the idea of Lita leading him in like that and the crew um, leading to his death. And I, I'm curious as to how you all feel about that, because uh, I don't have a huge problem with it, given what they were doing. And clearly, JMS's, uh, I, you know, thought process has been and continues to be its war and these kinds of decisions happen. But I'd be interested to hear what the crew thinks. You know, uh, it's interesting that you bring that up, Kevin, because so when Garibaldi and the crew run out of Kasha's room and they had was that Lita waiting in the wings to kind of go in and be like, oh, I'm here to warn you or whatever, because um, I noticed there was somebody waiting with the mask on. So when they left, mm-hmm. they went that was Lita, right, to go I in there so. and like, OK, so um, I feel like with Lita. I don't see a problem with this because he Nukash has been kind of an asshole to her. Like he's been kind of like, like she said, like basically took away all her furniture, like kind of hurting her, kind of using her and just treating her like she was just some sort of vessel to use and abuse and like not she mattered at all. And she even confronted him about it. And he's like, basically, fuck you, whatever. You know what I mean? So I kind of feel like in a way it kind of set Lita free a little bit, too. Because she doesn't have to deal with him doing whatever the hell he was doing to her when she had the gills. He wouldn't tell her things. And, you know, he was just not treating her nicely. And so I don't really feel like it was a bad thing. And like you said, it's kind of all fairs in war, a love and war, you know, like this is a time where you got to be creative. And the Vorlons are literally killing millions and millions of people and and planets. So it's like, if this is going to help stop that, sometimes you just got to lead the lamb to slaughter you know what i mean so i thought about that too and i was like is it good that it was lita but i feel like in a way it was kind of like almost like lita getting a little bit of vindication i know that patricia tallman didn't like it but like symbolically i feel like it was a big fuck you from lita you know if that makes sense emily i think i struggled with lita being the one to essentially lure him out 
because he can sense differences in her. He can tell she's trying to hide something, but I don't know that he would have followed anybody else. So I don't think there was a different option. It just put her in a really difficult spot because she has to met, try to hide from him, like this first one that has more power than her, what the plan is and that she's angry and pissed because he's a fucking douchebag. And that's a lot to try to restrain while implementing the plan and trying to act convincing. And I actually think she did a good job of acting all of that. My take on this is, I don't know how Patricia Tallman would feel about this all these years later, but it seemed like she kind of came around to JMS's uh, final argument about, well, it's it's where these kinds of things happen. But I mean, he had clearly mistreated her, hurt her. And uh, he had had a hand in picking which planets were going to be annihilated. Um, all of those things together, especially, um, you know, make it, yes, it's an ethical conundrum, but I'm not sure it really is when you th- when you think of the totality of the situation. The one thing I wanted to ask you all, too, is what do you think of seeing what we now can assume is a true Vorlon? They ain't angels. It was a clear distinction between old Kosh and new Kosh, kind of who was bad and who was evil or good, you know, because old Kosh had that bright yellow, sunny kind of vapory look. And then dickhead Kosh was like cold and, you know, like you could just it was very symbolic to me of who was good and who wasn't. And obviously our Kosh was the good one. Um, But I I think that, yeah, that seeing the true Vorlon state and I don't know if the colors symbolize anything, but I definitely could tell who was good and who wasn't. Emily? I thought Evil Gosh kind of looked like a Vorlon shadow hybrid. Yes. Um, because like the shadows obviously have multiple legs and at least caught originally Kosh had like some weird long form. And then Evil Kosh is like segmented with multiple limbs. So he looks like he's somewhere in between, which was really making me wonder if there's different factions of Vorlon and do they all actually support the current tactics being used? I'm throwing my question in there right now. I'm about ready to say, I was like, I was really excited because I see the Vorlons and the shadows looking a lot alike. One's energy, one's not. But I mean, they look a lot alike when you actually see a true Vorlon. And then you went off on your little conspiracy road and I was like, okay, cool. Okay, but how many groups have 100% agreement about anything? That just Well, we know for a fact the Vorlons don't because Kosh went off the reservation. Well, maybe evil Kosh has a little shadow in his lineage and that's an issue. Hmm. Interspecies erotica. Got it. Okay. Nicole, what do you got? I'm actually going to go with Emily on this one and say, I wonder if maybe the shadows and the Vorlons branched off from each other. Like maybe they were one and then they went different, kind of like how the um, Membari have the religious and the warrior case and whatever. Maybe I'm wondering if like the shadows and the Vorlon were, you know, the first ones were all one, right? And then they all kind of branched off into their own. So they went to the Vorlons and the Shadows and Lorianne, whatever the fuck he is, you know, and like maybe they're all they all have a little bit of each other in them. And maybe that's why Nukash kind of looked like a, sh- a shadow hybrid. And maybe that's why he's a dick. <laughs> maybe that's why he's a dick. A little correction. Lorianne isn't a first one. He is the, the first, first one. one. Yeah. Okay, now, he, gotcha. now that's what he's told us. 
Emily's probably going to say exactly. I I knew you were going to say it, but yeah. So according to Lorian, if he is telling us the truth, he is the first being to gain sentience in the universe. Everything else comes later. So it's all his fault that everything's a shit show. Yeah, they're all his bastard stepkids. Got it. (laughs) He's the reason we pay taxes. Which we got into this conversation. I Justin got into it a lot a few episodes ago. JMS is very big into mythology. And there is a whole thing about the first beings in Greek and Roman mythology were immortal. And then they were not. And so you get a little bit of that in there too. Anything else on B5, Kosh, all of that stuff before we take a jaunt over to Centauri Prime. Let's start talking about Centauri Prime and Londo and the Emperor. Only if we can call collect. <laughs> that line was great. I had to explain to my daughter a few months ago what collect calling was. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just it, it, these children these days. Nicole, what do you got? The whole thing on Centauri Prime, Cartagia is a fucking psycho. Like, seriously. First of all, I really think Londo is playing it in a way that is like very smart and intelligent and very manipulative. And this is another example of his like manipulative side coming out, but it's kind of coming out for good because Cartagia sucks. He's playing off of all of the things that Cartagia's, his grand illusions and his narcissism. Like he's really playing that fiddle and kind of getting Cartagia to go along with his plans. A couple things that I thought were crazy was if you're a Centauri, the one thing you want to do is preserve and protect your people in your your home world. And Cartagia is like, let it burn, whatever. Like he is totally not kind of following the path, I guess, um, which I thought was crazy. Or at least that's what I observed. And then the whole, I like you, Londo, and taking him in the room and showing him the heads with Londo like covering his mouth or whatever. Like that was, that whole scene was insane. Like it the whole Centauri Prime vibe on this episode was just, it was a lot, you know? And then at the end, when he does that to Jakar, I cannot wait for him to get got. That's all I got to say. Did you happen to recognize the one head that we did see on the table fully? Did you recognize that head? I was trying to figure out who it was. And he said the name too. And I'm like, why do I know this person? Don't yeah. worry about the name. Just look at, okay. just think about the head. Did was it Rifa? It? No, it wasn't Rifa. It was Andreas Katsoulis. Oh, and, they and put here actually made a comment that even then he's getting his scene stolen by Andre. <laughs> oh my god, that yeah, was his real at... face. That was his real face. Uh-huh. Well, with a lot of necro makeup, but yes. Oh no, shit. <laughs> okay, no, I didn't catch that. Yep, Emily. Was anyone else baffled by how he could walk in the office with that stench and not flinch? Because you could see Londo sitting there, like, trying not to vomit. Because I'm assuming there's a smell, because you have rotting heads. And Cartagia's just like, this is completely normal, because Captain Crazy Pants. <laughs> yeah, I, I, man, that scene was rough. Because I wanted to gag just contemplating how bad it would have smelled. And he's just acting like it's nothing. Justin. Well, I mean, not to mention the fact that uh, Gortasia is willing to destroy the entire Centauri homeworld and all of its people just to elevate himself to godhood. Like, oh my god, the douchebaggery within this entire episode in terms of Gortasia. Like, I, I think I said this last episode too. I've never wanted to see a character killed more. 
then I want to see Cortaja just get completely bum fucked out of this universe, like gone. <laughs> I'm I'm done with him. Like every time I see him on screen, and I I really wish we can track down the actor because I would actually like to talk to him about you know his method of playing this character because I've never hated a character more than I hate Cortaja. It's it's insane. Like every time he's on screen, it makes my skin crawl. Nicole. I, I agree with that. He does make my skin crawl too, but it, it props to that actor for making everyone hate him, man. Like, right? damn. Yeah. But um, <laughs> you said something, one of you guys said something funny about the whole heads in the office thing. Wasn't it, am I mistaken or wasn't Cartagia saying that that one specific head gave him a great idea and was like yes, talking to like him? They yes. Talked to him. Yes. yes. Okay. It was actually, <laughs> it was, it, it was it two was heads. Andreas. Yeah. Well, yeah. it was, there was two heads. He pointed at the one on the far left that we didn't see. Mm-hmm. He's like, this one said this. And then he pointed at Andreas's head and said, and this one said this. He's yeah. talking to all of them. Mm-hmm. And they're talking back to him apparently. Like, well, what? Like that, <laughs> I I just kind of watched that scene and I was like, what the fuck just happened? Like, it made my brain hurt. <laughs> oh, there was no Veer in this episode either, which made me sad. Yeah, I was wondering where he was. I was a little disappointed that he wasn't there, but I'm glad he didn't have to be subjected to the decapitated heads yeah. just out on desk. I don't think he has... would have been able to play that very cool. Oh, no, he would have yeah. laughed or, yeah, no. Well, and part of that too is, uh, I'm sure like Stephen first just wasn't, you know, part of the script for one reason or another. But when you look at it, every time we see Londo and Cartagia, they're in situations that Veer would not be in. Cartagia yeah. is letting Londo into his inner sanctum. Uh, he's Londo randomly runs into him on at the garden because he was called out there by Cartagia. So it's one of those where uh, Veer just doesn't fit. Because Kardashian doesn't give a shit about Veer. Veer is nothing to him. Right. Yeah, and I'm starting to wonder how aware Kardashian is of, like, things going on around him. Because, I mean, he's obviously completely off the rocker. Like, they're not even in the same room. But he has to know that Londo plotted to have Rifa off. So, I'm... Does he? Try... I would think he would know that one. Does anyone know that? It was Jakar who killed him. And the only people who were in the room when Larifa got taken out were people that Londo bought off or Narn. So I does he? Someone somewhere might have put one and two together. I'm definitely uh, on this one. I think I would I would think that somebody knew that Cartage at least suspected. Yeah, if they don't have evidence, I mean you would at least suspect because I would guess Morden might hint at it somehow. It's probably what endears Londo to Cartagia so much. <laughs> and I just wonder if some of Cartagia's behaviors and bringing him in to like the office with the heads is also a subtle threat like this could be you. <laughs> you could be joining my cabinet of heads, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see where you read it that way. I don't see it that way. I, I think we've gotten past threats with Cartagia and Londo. I think Cartagia just believes that in seven days, when the Vorlons arrive, I'm going to become a god. And I like Londo, so I'm going to tell him about it. It's interesting to me that, because I, I, I feel like, I, even though I've seen the series all the way through, I'm pretty sure I, I thought of the whole, uh, hey, you know, just tell him that there's not going to be anyone to worship him if, if the entire yeah. planet gets offed. And that's going to be your, you know, your way out in some way, somehow. 
mm-hmm. but man like the the amount of crazy man I, I thought i thought the brits were crazy having a shadow cabinet but that just absolutely takes the cake well and i mean londo plays that well too yeah. because cartagia calls him on so you want to stay with me so you can honor me no oh, no just... no no i'm good because he knows that, that he'll lose his trust of Cartagia. He's like, yeah, let me go so I can preach about you and be your apostle. No, I'm ready to die for you, sir. I'm ready. Cartagia wants to be in the room where it happened, the room where it happened, the room where <laughs> it happened. Decapitated heads. <laughs> okay, did anyone catch where Londo and Cartagia is talking? And Londo's like, yes, it will be the death of Citizen Jakar. And I was like, he's probably not going to pick up on the code that once this happens, Jakar won't be just a citizen anymore. He's likely going to be reinstated with some form of power on Narn. Or did I just read too much into that statement? I don't think so. I don't think you read too much into that at all, because especially if it's the case where if Jakar is expecting Londo to follow through on his word and to free you know, Narn from Centauri rule then I would almost expect like Jakar to be elevated to some kind of role of supreme leadership of trying to rebuild the Narn homeworld. So I don't think you're wrong in your thinking at all. I think he means it as a, you know, as an insult, you know, citizen Jakar, because he's nothing else. And I'm not sure that he really means oh. it in the sense that um, he he intends to insult Jakar, but I think he's doing that for uh, the Emperor's benefit. So it's more of like calling him Citizen Jakar is more of like saying you have no role, you have no right. It's part of the cover with with the Emperor. You have no standing, therefore you're just a citizen. Okay. Mm, Interesting. I just want to know how Emily deals with all these rabbit holes around her house. They're easy (laughs) to fall into. I hop around them. It's fine. Anything else you guys want to talk about before we move into questions and predictions? I figured out why I was having an issue with Sheridan. Oh. Just in case anyone's actually curious as to what my issue is, that's basically pretty much just a me issue, which is not surprising. Um, It's actually his voice. And I figured it out listening to his cameo because his voice sounds so genuinely kind and sincere. It's been difficult for me to take any of the scenes where he's angry, like completely seriously, I don't hear the anger in his voice that I would expect for the scene. Cause I think that's just how his voice is. But this time, like his voice sounded a little bit different. Like there was almost a little hint of anger in there. I'm like, Oh, that's a different change. I'm like, that's what my problem has been for, you know, two seasons. I will say when he Bruce... sounds too nice. <laughs> I will say when Bruce joined the show, that was one of the complaints was that he was too happy-go-lucky and too smiley and was Mm -hmm. worried about oranges more than anything else. And so you're not the first fan to complain about that. Now, I don't know about season three and four if they're still complaining about it like you, but, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, but I can be really sensitive to, like, the tone in someone's voice. So it's likely mostly a me thing for season three. So there's a really fun story about uh, the whole Kosh, the two fights. So the first Kosh fight with security in in Kosh's quarters is, you know, regular effects. There's actually somebody in the suit uh, who's, you know, moving around, doing the whole thing. And then the second fight 
in cargo bay or whatever it was there's nobody in the suit and there's a whole story behind it so i'll i'll, I'll do it real brief so they had the pyrotechnics guys make up three kosh heads that were all going to explode and they're like okay we got to get this in you know one one of the shots and three shots we're going to get it so they clear the set and uh so it's just the director john flynn the third and two cameramen one of the cameramen was his son john flynn the fourth and so one of the pyrotechnics guys the plan the plan was that only those two are going to be there. They're going to set up the cameras and then they were all going to leave. And that's when they would set off the head, except one of the pyrotechnics people accidentally set off the head early and nearly injured or possibly killed all, all three of them to the point where John Flynn, the director flew out of his chair. So they were all pretty shaken and they're all trying to figure out, okay, well, now are we going to be able to get this in two takes after everyone settles down? Thankfully, no one was injured. And so they put the the, kosh head, the second Kosh head on, and they're ready to go, and it falls off and is shattered. So now they only have one Kosh head left, and Copeland, the, uh, the producer's like, okay, why are you guys still working on this? Let's just do it in post-production, which is why they did it. So if you go back and look at those two scenes, the the second fight wasn't really what they were hoping for because they were planning on doing it with regular effects, but they had to settle for the the uh, post-production uh, CGI type stuff. The pyro guy's thinking, I'm going to need a new job now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, apparently uh, they John Flynn III was pretty shaken up a bit there, and uh, he nearly lost lost his shit and had uh, nearly had a heart attack because he was so upset. Well, if somebody's going to nearly blow me up, I'm probably going to be pretty pissed, yeah. too. Yeah. Okay, let's go ahead and move into questions and predictions. For those who have joined us for the first time, we have our newbies who have not watched past this episode. So we're going to ask them if they have any lingering questions, and then we're going to have them make any predictions about what's going to happen next. And then we'll kick them out the airlock, and our first ones who have watched the whole show will answer those questions in our Beyond the Rim segment. So let's go to Nicole first. Questions and predictions. Kind of got some of my questions answered, like, did Kosh die, which, you know, you guys, we kind of talked about. Um, so I guess my only other questions are now that they got Kosh off B5 and kind of got rid of him, is the Vorlon massacre going to continue or was he the one that was driving that? Like, was that all him? I'll answer that for you right now. The Vorlon fleet is steaming towards Centauri Prime. Okay. We were told so, that at the end of the episode that they were seven days away. Oh, that's right. Okay. So they, okay. So it doesn't matter if Kosh is there or not. Um, And then uh, I guess really my only other thoughts or predictions would be, I think something's going to go down with Garibaldi. I don't know what, but I think that this tension is going to come to a head and it's going to be ugly. And I am very curious as to if, they are going to make it past two weeks, like Sheridan said. So I think they are, obviously, because the show could goes on for another season. So I don't think anything totally drastic is going to happen, but obviously shit's going to go down. Um, so that's my thoughts. Emily? I guess I have one prediction. I have a feeling that Garibaldi's going to start kind of subtly investigating or looking into Lorianne, whatever information he can gather about this new person showing up and being right next to Sheridan seemingly very frequently. As far as questions, there are a few. 
Um, I covered the if there are Vorlon factions and how many of them actually agree about the current tactics being used against other like colonies that are being used by the shadows. Not necessarily that they're working with the shadows, but the shadows are using them. So when Garibaldi was wrapped to the table, when he woke up on the pod, like that's his flashback. That's what we saw in a previous episode. But is that how he was found? Like when they get the pod and get into it, is he still wrapped to the table or is he like not and they found him in a different state? I just want to know how Garibaldi was situated within the pod when they uh, rescued him. Because I feel like that'll affect how they that might be affecting why they're treating him the way they are and being so suspicious if he was like on the exam table wrapped to it. Now he was sitting up at the table, spread eagle, saying, what took you so long? <laughs> He's ready for some popcorn and some of his favorite things. Well, I'm trying to remember, and I thought maybe someone else would jump in. Don't don't they show them, like, wheeling him across the dock or something? He the- was on a gurney. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, I don't think he was wrapped in saran wrap at the time, I but he was on a gurney. I remember if he still was or not. Okay. I think he was, yeah. And I still want to know how many Vorlon there are, because we are led to believe there weren't very many left based on what... Delin said when they revealed Kosh was one of the first ones. And Justin, questions, predictions. Okay. With uh, Kurtaja, you know, making his uh, grand trip to Narn, I honestly think this is where Kurtaja is going to die and someone else is going to have to become Emperor. So whether it's, you know, if this is where we see uh, Londo become Emperor, I don't know, but someone's going to have to... I think this is where Kortaj is going to finally get fucking taken out on the on the Narn homeworld. Prediction number two, losing both Kosh and Koshbag. I honestly think that this is where the Vorlons are going to turn their eyes into Babylon 5 and maybe try to have some kind of major attack upon the station. And then I only have one question. What's going on in Earth these days? We really haven't seen anything from Earth or EarthGov or, you know, anything really going on with what's going on down on Earth these days. So are we going to see anything happen from Earth or Mars or anything time soon? So, Justin, I'm actually happy you brought that up because uh, it was either last week or the week before in Beyond the Rim. We just said, you know, the newbies have completely kind of ignored the Earth thing and the, the show has kind of ignored the earth thing we did get a right. throwaway line from garibaldi this episode saying i can't go home so but really <laughs> the the whole earth storyline has been sidelined so yeah i mean what's going on with clark these days i want to know well we'll answer that for you in the next year and a half beyond the rim <laughs> a reminder before the newbies leave please make sure to like subscribe follow and also leave a review where you can especially if you can over at itunes apple that really does help us grow and we'll be here next week to talk about the long night. Until then, I'm Scott, and with me has been Emily, Justin, Evan, what? Mike, and Nicole. Newbies, be gone. <laughs> Goodbye. Not leaving. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. 
Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. Again, this is our spoiler section, so if you have not watched past the current episode, or if you can't remember what happens next... Be sure to leave now and then come back next week. If you're okay with spoilers, stick around. We'll answer all these questions and predictions from our newbies. So, guys, we're just going to dive right in here. And most of the questions revolved around either the Vorlons or Garibaldi. So let's do the Vorlons first. Our first question is, are there factions within the Vorlon? I don't think we get really a definitive answer to this other than the fact that Kosh... 1.0 definitely feels differently than some of his Vorlon colleagues, most notably Kosh 2.0. But other than that, I don't, I'm not aware of anything in the expanded universe where we hear too much more about that. Are you guys? I think as far as I know, the Vorlons are kind of the Vorlons, except Kosh 1.0 stayed a little while too long and (laughs) went a little native. Yeah. Yeah. Logically, it makes sense that they're not all on the same page and that original kosh wasn't the only outside thinker but yeah nothing nothing ever confirmed i cannot imagine kosh 1.0 being okay with them blowing up planets but it's pretty clear that uh the rest of the vorlons feel completely differently than he does oh it's interesting to me that i mean i i feel like a lot of personification gets applied to og kosh because i mean he is obviously a warmer character than his placement but you gotta remember how much of a dick he still was in the beginning too i mean yeah he he was he was very much towing the vorlon line of i could care less whether the narns and the centauri kill each other you know yeah that's true but uh but you're and and, yeah i just say that because you're not the only one that kind of just did it like everybody else it's like oh gosh gosh 1.0 was like a father figure to me i'm like what are you talking about yeah well don't (laughs) don't worry i'm also not forgiving uh londo (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we were told to, and this goes into the other question we got from Emily, how many Vorlon are there? We're told throughout that there's not many left. So I think if you're going to have a faction, it's going to be one or two that kind of, as Blake said, go native. And even though their fleet is huge, we've been told over and over again that their ships are bio ships, living ships. So there's probably still not that many Vorlon out there that could, quote unquote, go native. It also... After millennia of doing the same thing over and over again, you're kind of set in your ways. They know there's a cycle. They're going to beat up on uh, the shadows through the littler races. Some of those races will succeed and live on like the Mimbari did a thousand years ago. Some will not. And that's cool. That's how that's how we work this thing. Moving over to Garibaldi. Was Garibaldi wrapped on the table when they found him? Oh. Yeah, I guess I, I mentioned that before because I actually thought there was an answer to this. I I thought when they showed them wheeling him off across the dock that he was still on the original table wrapped in cellophane, but I guess I could just be misremembering that. I don't know if it's us that have talked about this or not, but I've had discussions recently with a few people about, you know, like what what childhood like horror movies or whatever had an effect on you growing up. 
and like the the one the one and only movie for me that stands out is like something that i watched and it stuck in my craw like for years was fire in the sky the alien uh, abduction movie where really? the guy was like famously on the table wrapped in the whatever and you know i <laughs> i get i get flashes of that every time i see the garibaldi thing in here that, i'm that sure movie... they're not i'm sure that's not a coincidence given the timing but no i wouldn't doubt it that, that movie was a creepy ass movie though so right? i just i just pulled up the, uh, the 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 episode and we literally at commercial break we have garibaldi waking up in the cellophane on the ship and then when we cut back from commercial he is being wheeled into medbay on a gurney but he has a blanket and a air uh, a mask over his mouth for air oh. so you have no idea how he got taken out of the ship but he's not conscious when they bring him in so they probably just unwrapped him to take him off the ship it looks like which you would think would be a red flag yeah you would think and maybe it was well, maybe that's part of why they're treating him so cautiously if anything the thing that's inconsistent is how trusting and accepting absolutely everybody was of sheridan that's true the newbies were 100 percent right on with that yeah what i really like about jerry doyle's portrayal of garibaldi in this season is that he made a concerted effort to play him so that it felt natural so that it wasn't a big ass billboard on him saying hey i've been altered i've i've been brainwashed and i think it comes off very well in the season it's a tough season to watch if you're somebody who likes garibaldi but he he pulls off the acting very well in my opinion i think we had that discussion a couple weeks ago with this too about garibaldi coming back and it was this idea that through several of these episodes until garibaldi ultimately betrays sheridan you can kind of see where he's having an issue and you can sympathize with the issue he's having. So it's really hard to determine, is this a Garibaldi that's been altered or is this a Garibaldi that, mm-hmm. you know, came back? And I think you even pointed out this almost messianic version of Sheridan, you know, is Garibaldi right or not as he's coming back into Babylon 5 and dealing with this? And I think as viewers, we're left to have that hanging with us too. Has he been modified? Or is this really Garibaldi? Where, where's the programming start and stop? Yeah, I got to really credit the writing, too, because not only is the betrayal good, but the the way in which it's written on the fence so well, you know, when you're watching the, the season, it's pr- really hard to tell one way or the other. So moving on, well, the other question we had was, what's going on with Earth these days? Oh, that's a coming. Well, it gets answered, too, like when... Uh, Franklin and Marcus go to Mars, they find out that no one on Earth was even told about the Shadow War. They heard rumors and stuff, but the, the Clark administration is like, oh, that's nothing. Don't worry about that. So I, I love, I think it was Marcus's line when we get there. He's like, I'm a galactic hero and no one knows. Just my luck. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we'll get there in a few episodes. Moving on into predictions, after both Kosh's or Koshai have died, the Vorlons will turn their eyes to the station. If they were going to be around for more than two episodes, they probably would have. Yeah, they don't get the opportunity. Yeah, no, they're going to go for Centauri Prime, and uh, they're going to get stopped, and that's going to be the end of it. Garrett is going to tell them to get the hell out of our galaxy. Yes. I wonder if that will be a mean enough voice for Emily to like him. We'll see. <laughs> of all things, I don't like him because he's too damn nice. <laughs> One person, I, I, I can't remember where I saw this or read it, but to that kind of point, I've, I've said too that in this watch through, Sheridan hasn't really lived up to what I remember him living up to. 
one of the things with the Delenn and Sheridan dynamic is uh, it seems like they have better chemistry together when they're not in the same scene together. What I mean by that, when they're like looking towards each other, longing towards each other, they have really good chemistry. But when you stick them together, there's not much there. Like this episode with them getting engaged or at least trying to get engaged. It was just like, there's not much chemistry between these two. I don't know what it is. It just, it doesn't, I'm not going to ship them like Nicole does. I don't know. Yeah. Part of it, I think, is the is the writing because JMS is writing the scenes to be kind of slightly awkward um you know and that's why i i i personally think they feel more natural that way um i'm not the smoothest guy there ever was so uh that's why i just think it, that came off pretty well in the uh in the engagement scene what really struck me though was the the first scene with the two of them uh where you know they embrace she almost looks like a a wounded cat nuzzling. It's really strange. And I, I watched it a couple of times because I was like, am I just seeing this wrong? But it looks very odd. And that's coming from someone who really does uh, care very much for Mira Furlan's, uh acting. But it, 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 it struck me as very strange. That was actually brought up in this episode, too, with uh, JMS on when he was chatting with folks. And he said, Dylan's been dealing with depression. And obviously, the I think he said the fire and steel in her will be coming out more. And we do see that, especially when we get to the Earth Civil War. But yeah, I, that may be it for me. It may be that a lot of Dylan's agency is like just not there right now. And it's just kind of not working for me. Yeah, I mean, in this episode, the scene that I actually thought was for whatever reason sort of off-putting was right before the engagement when she's kind of i don't know what you want to call it It wasn't like confession or anything but when she was talking to sheridan about you know basically her her feelings about well you know uh, damn it i'm struggling for the words here her her role in keeping the 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 secret about anna uh away from sheridan and how she's that whole scene she's looking away from him and i kind of get what they were going for with it being like a shame thing maybe like she's yeah. feeling ashamed about how how she handled that situation and now he's back and she's trying to face up to it but you take that scene compared to when she sat down with jakar and did kind of the same thing and this one felt absolutely flat yes i i completely agree with that yeah, and that was right before the weird nuzzling too. So yeah, yeah, these two are much stronger characters. We're not; they're not in relationship mode. And I don't. It's just it's weird. I think you know. And Kevin, you've now read JMS's autobiography. We we learn, and he learns throughout his life that he's not exactly a romantic person for many reasons. Yeah. So it's not his cup of tea to write romantic relationships. So. That's, that's probably part of it too. And this th this could be a whole separate discussion, but you know we all have issues with how you know other things are are written, um, you know other sci-fi. And if uh, JMS's only aspect of his writing that's a little soft is his romantic stuff, I think he's a pretty well-rounded writer because 
Uh, there are other sci-fi writers who uh, who are going to remain nameless, who get get uh, dialogue and other things in all aspects of their writing. Not always very, very good, but uh, JMS usually does pretty well with everything else. Agreed. So moving right along, Garibaldi will start investigating Lorien and the tension uh, with between Garibaldi and the crew is going to get ugly. I would say so, because at one point, Ivanova says, shoot him on sight. Yeah, <laughs> that's a little bit of a tension, yeah. I think the, the Lorien aspect, again, because we're only two episodes away from Lorien, also going beyond the rim and never coming back, that's going to be kind of a moot point. But for the better part of the rest of the season, Garibaldi is going to be a problem. He's going to quit security and still be a problem on the station until we have to deal with all of that situation. So yeah, it's going to get more ugly. Before the fans come for you, Lorian does come back at the very end of Sleeping in the Light. Okay, fine. Sure. You know someone would call you on it. Um, Excuse me, but in episode 522, or actually 422, okay. I'm betting we can name which one it would be too. Hi... We know who you are. <laughs> yeah, but so, I mean, Lorian's not going to be a factor much anymore. But yeah, it's going to get ugly. And as we discussed, I think, a couple episodes ago, or maybe even last week, I think that's a point where some of us are going to like it and some of us are not going to like it. And I'm, looking, I'm interested to see how the newbies take the kind of drawn-out aspect of this storyline throughout most of Season 4. Last one, Cartagia will die on Narn. Ding, well, ding, no ding, shit, ding. Nostradamus. Nostradamus. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do like the the bait and switch aspect of it, though. Londo has this entire plan. Yep. He has it ready to go, and it falls apart dramatically. But it still works out in the end. And I really can't wait to see what the newbies have to say about the fact that it is good old Veer who shoves the needle into Cartagia's chest in one episode. I'm looking forward to that. Well, we'll go ahead and end it there. Thanks again so much for joining us on this conversation. And please, if you haven't already, and I know 50% of you don't do this, so please do hit that like, subscribe button. If you're listening to the podcast, be sure to follow our podcast on whatever your app of choice is. And leave us a comment and review. We can take Audible, we can take Spotify, and we can take Apple. Apple being the big dog in the room. So if you can help us out there, we really do appreciate it. And we'll be back here next week to discuss the long night and veer committing assassination it's gonna be great it's fun it's exciting so until next week i'm scott and with me has been kevin Blake, and mike see everybody likey likey clicky clicky is that like emperor emperor side emperor side yeah what is that called uh, deicide regicide 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 oh, okay veer okay. commits regicide yes londo probably calling collect